They say if you live one place long enough, you are that place. My name is Anthony Desiato, and I've lived in Westchester, New York my entire life. This season, I'll be telling my county story through her comic shops, capturing a microcosm of the comics industry during the pivotal 1990s. Alternate Realities was, and always will be, my comic shop, but it's time to revisit my first shops, the quintessential stores of the area and the era that are now no more. Everything comes full circle this season with the final piece of my comic shop history. Welcome to My Comic Shop History. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. My county's comic shop history continues with another shop from White Plains, a longstanding institution, Comic Book Heaven. And I'm very excited to welcome to the show for the first time, former Comic Book Heaven customer and employee, Saad Siddiqui. How you doing, Anthony? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. No, thank you for having me. So um, we, you know, we started with Heroes World and we're staying in White Plains uh, to talk about Comic Book Heaven. Uh, before we get into it, your presence here represents uh, a, a blending of the worlds for me here, because you and I met at Alternate Realities, mm-hmm. where you started shopping after Comic Book Heaven closed. Yep. But we also both attended Pace Law School at separate times. Yes. But so this was this is a rare instance where I have someone from, you know, sort of both, both worlds, both the comic <laughs> side and the law side. We haven't had that on the show before. Yeah. Look, I encountered that every once in a while. Like, I remember when I'd go to Comic Book Heaven you know, back when I was in school and randomly see a classmate, I'm like, okay, this is, uh, as George Costanza would say, it's a mixing of the circles. Yeah. <laughs> like I had to just kind of brace myself every time that would happen. So I'm glad uh, it pleases me to be the first. Yeah, no, I, I, like, I like it a lot. So before we sat down to record, uh, you told me a few things about Comic Book Heaven and mm-hmm. your experience there. You told me that you shopped there from when it opened in 94 to when it closed in 2013 that the folks there, particularly the owners, Morris and Irene, were like family. Mm-hmm. And uh, you worked there uh, during high school and college. So yep. basically, what Comic Book Heaven was to you and what you were to it very much mirrors the relationship I had with Alternate Reality. So I'm very excited to compare notes about all of this. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. So there was a comic book shop in White Plains in 1993 called One Million Comics. And they were over uh, on Mamaronic Avenue between, um, right by old the, the split between Old Mamaronic Road and Mamaronic Avenue sure. on that side of town. So they were there for about a year. I lived there for a brief period. Oh, okay. Yeah, I had an apartment on uh, at Two Old Mamaronic Road oh, for okay. a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. So this is this is right when right at that split on Mamaronic Avenue. Gotcha. And so, you know, when I moved to White Plains in January of '93. You know, I, I came uh, came upon that place, and it was owned by two brothers, Felix and Oscar. And they wound up, you know, I wound up getting the sad news in December of 93 that they were shutting down the store. So I'm going, wow, what, do, what am I going to do? And then one, you know, fine day, it's early January of 94, I happen to be walking on Main Street, and I see a gentleman um, standing outside, you know, smoking a cigarette. And he was a big, heavy set guy. And I looked, you know, he's in the doorway of a storefront. And I happened to walk past and I see like comic book art, but it's not up. And I said, is this a comic book shop? And he said, yeah, we're, we just op- getting opened up, but you're welcome to come in. And that was Morris. And so this was two, the location was 205 Main Street. And back then they didn't even have a, a sign up, but they were going to call it com- Comic Book Alley. So it was Franklin Art Comic Book Alley. And that's the first time I walked into the store. 
and it was like a, it was a Saturday and I could see that they were still setting everything up, but it was interesting because his main focus at the time was he wanted to really showcase comic book art. And he was said, you know, the next couple of months it's going to get set up. And so I started coming back there, you know, every weekend I'd pop in every Saturday and then it really started to get hustle and bustle. And then next thing you know, you know, by the late spring, as we were going into summer, I started working there. So the original location was on Main Street. Yep. What occupies that space now? Because I'm trying to place it. Ritz-Carlton. They tore the entire thing down. (laughs) It's now the Ritz-Carlton. So, yeah. And so, you know, where that strip of White Plains is, the Ritz-Carlton, I mean, what used to be there, there were several storefronts. And so Comic Book Heaven was 205 Main Street. I think right now where the actual entrance to comic book heaven is you'll see the entrance to uh blt steakhouse restaurant we're, we're big fans of blt hey i love the steak i mean it's i'm not gonna knock it but um comic book he- comic book heaven then it was uh comic book alley it, it was there from january of 1994 to january of 1997 so what wound up happening was that lease um they wound up, you know, running out on the lease and they were thinking about what they were going to do. The landlord raised the rent. And so they, that's when they moved to the Court Street location. And that's the one that I knew. So yeah. by the time I started shopping there, they had already moved. And, you know, we'll get to this later in the episode, but I never made it to the White Plains Mall location, their final mm-hmm. their final destination. Um, but the Court Street location, that was the one that I would go to. So I was only ever a regular at three shops. Heroes World was where I started. Then after Heroes World closed, uh, I had a pull list at Alternate Realities for a time. I kind of bounced back and forth a little bit. So it was AR, then one if by cards, two if by comics, because I had a period where I was really into basketball cards. Mark. Mark and Donna. Yeah, Mark and, and Donna. They'll, they'll be on the show later this season. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I came back to Alternate Realities. So this was you know probably late elementary school where I came back to AR. And then once I started working there in high school, I mean, you know, that was it. But along the way, I would go to Dragon's Den and I would go to Comic Book Heaven, you know, on a more casual basis, pop in every now and then. And specifically in the case of Comic Book Heaven, when I needed a back issue. Yes. Trust me, I I spent many a day filing away those books and alphabetizing them. Yeah, so I'm fascinated by the back issue operation there mm-hmm. because and again as a, as a kid in the 90s you know this was before i mean maybe mile high comics had their website up i, I don't mm-hmm. know but it certainly wasn't anything that i discovered until later so you know like if you wanted to get back issues and i wasn't going to conventions or anything like that so it was like i knew if i needed something i could go to comic book heaven exactly i knew i would pay for it yes but that they, they had everything and you know we haven't i don't think we've mentioned him yet specifically but but bishop yes the manager so I would go into Comic Book Heaven with my list of what I was looking for. Uh, the Probably the biggest back issue project that I ever embarked upon was, <laughs> you left, <laughs> tracking down the entire Spider-Man clone saga. Oh, wow. So, again, I know it's not the most revered story of all time, but it's what got me into Spider-Man. And I was so curious about this story. And I will say, reading it after the fact and knowing where it was going to go, I think made for a better better experience i'm sure people who were reading it as it came out felt otherwise yeah i would agree with that latter part because i read it as it was coming out (laughs) i mean just as a quick interruption at one point midway through the storyline i literally had about because i think it was what 50 50 books by when all was sudden done so somewhere around like book number like 
comic book issue 30 of that entire saga. I actually went to Morris because I was an employee then, but I'd also have my own file. And I said to him, can I trade these in? <laughs> and I kid you not, I traded every single one of them in. Just, I couldn't do it anymore. I was protesting Spider-Man because of that storyline. Oh, I, I hear you. But for me, it holds a special place. And so I tracked down that entire two-year storyline as mm -hmm. back issues. And I remember going to Comic Book Heaven. I think I hit probably all the shops in Westchester, like the, my mm -hmm. main shops in Westchester. I hit all of them tracking down those back issues. And I remember going into Comic Book Heaven with my list and I would hand it to Bishop and he would go into that back room. And, you know, I never, I never really ventured that far back, but, you know, you could see certainly all the, you know, the steel shelves, mm -hmm. right? And then he would emerge with wood. The, they were all oh, wood. Oh, they were wood. Oh, were wood. wow. Okay. Every single one of them. Were gotcha. Wood. But he would emerge with whatever he had, which was usually most of what was on the list. Mm -hmm. Occasionally he wouldn't have something, but he usually did. And then he would sit down with the price guide and look up each comic and mark next to the issue how much it was, it was going to cost. We came up with a term for this, the bishop tax. Mm -hmm. uh, so again, it was a sort of thing where you knew comic book heaven would likely have it. You'd, you'd pay a little extra for it, but you'd get what you need. Uh, so that those are really my, uh, you know, most defining uh, comic book heaven memories, going to get back issues from Bishop. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny, just even... So the back issue operation, and, and again, this actually goes back to 94, before, more, before Bishop even got there. I think it was something that kind of the, the Morris fell into. So initially, obviously, the focus was the artwork, and he wanted to make sure that he carried as diverse of an inventory as possible. This was also during the mid-90s, so the back, you know, the fad of comic book collecting was very big, the alternative covers, you know, Lady Death was a book that came up by Chaos Comics in 1994. So he'd carried a couple issues. Next thing you know, it hit it big or she, the way of the warrior. So it was trying to build up a back issues for like those image books, those, you know, books that often tended to sell out. And then from there, you know, he, we were just ordering heavy numbers. I mean, I think to a certain extent, it kind of got really crazy when, you know, I'm filing away a hundred copies of each chapter of the chaos effect by Valiant Comics, and I kid you not, the VP at the time for marketing was a guy named Steve Mazarski, and he calls up Morris, and he says, Valiant's doing this big crossover called the Chaos Effect. And next thing you know, Morris ordered 100 copies of each issue. I mean, you you know it's bad when you're looking at a book called Secret Weapons 8, and we have 120 copies. It's, so that's something actually that I was curious about, whether the store ordered specifically with an eye toward having leftovers for the back issues. For stock. some of, you know, I think with the chaos effect, the hope was just that it would be a big seller because don't, because it, by 93, 94, you know, certain books were selling 90,000 copies a month. Uh, now, granted, it was the retailers that were buying them, but... You know, pe people were spending so much money buying comic books, hoping to duplicate the collectability of like another Death of Superman or or hitting it big with, you know, getting that uh, Magnus Robot Fighter 12, the first appearance of Turok. Because in the early 90s, when Valiant hit it big, those original runs of Valiant books were sought after collector's items. So those were the kinds of back issues that people were, were looking for. So what Morris, I think, started to do was he was definitely, as you said, 
looking to order books, making sure that we would always have five or 10 left over for back issues. Um, and in some books, you would order more heavier. Like if it was a number one, for instance, and sure. back then there was a number one every month, um, zero hour with all the zero issues. I mean, forget about it. And I still, I mean, I used to have nightmares about this stuff because I'd be the one filing it away. <laughs> I, I should probably save this for when we do the Dragon's Den episodes, but uh, it's on my mind now. So, because you mentioned Heroes uh, Zero Hour, if you remember uh, during that storyline, they had their their gimmick was uh, at the end of of each of the issues, the uh, fade they, out, the fade to white. Yeah, and again, a little kid. I remember getting one of the Superman issues, I think, at Dragon's Den. And I didn't know what was going on. And my mom and I like went back to the store. We thought it was a printing defect. <laughs> did, did you find, did any other customer, was I the only one? Or did no, you- <laughs> no. I, 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 I can guarantee you, I'm sure there were a couple of people that felt, felt gypped because there were at least two pages, you know, for every, for each of those books that were, you know, they didn't have to do anything because they were just blank pages. Yeah. So that was funny. But, um, and then I guess the other thing that I always wondered about, again, the, so there were some back issues, if I remember correctly, that were out on the floor. Yes. There, But the majority of the back issues were yes. in that back room. And I guess that's kind of unusual. I mean, I know some stores, like if they have like their very high-end CGC books, those will be, you know, on a wall or, or in a, and in that's, a separate and, room. And, and, and you had that, you had that there too. I mean, you had right. like on the wall, you had the Silver Age stuff. Right. Um, but like all the regular back issues, again, we're in that back room. What was the, the reasoning for that? Well, it's just, so what would happen is what was on the floor was just a small take, you know, a small sampling, if mm-hmm. you will. Um, and typically what you would do on the floor is have maybe a couple of back issues. Like, let's say, back, uh, f- try and get a run of flashes out. Let's say on the floor you have a run going back 60 issues and you have one or two copies in the bin. But in the back, you actually had another five or 10 copies of each issue. So the idea was to replenish the the floor back issue uh, shelves or uh, slots um, and keep the surplus in the back. And like there were tons and tons and tons of books in the back. So I remember going into the back of alternate realities. It was, you know, on those shelves. Yes, you had back issues, but you also had. A, I mean, Steve had. I, I I couldn't believe how many statues he had on there. Yeah, that back room was mostly statues. Yeah, it was statues and a and lot of uh, trade paperback overstock as yeah. well. Whereas you know the back issue, the back room, no matter which store it was, well, until we got until it got to the White Plains Mall, but at the at the Court Street location. One of the things that made the Court Street location so appealing for Morris was he said that back room was perfect for the amount of um, back issues he wanted to carry. So when you go back to the the Main Street location, when they first opened up that first summer, they had like this entire back area that's about the size of your apartment, right? But you only had shelves when I started there taking up about a third of it. So they had to hire a contractor and those shelves were custom made. Hmm. So they would come in and you know get the fresh plywood, get it all and then build it from scratch. So they must have had a contractor come in not once, not twice, but th- yeah, twice in the Main Street location where to the point where by the time they moved out of that location in December of 96, January of 97, literally it was wall to wall shelves. 
Then they move into the location in January of 97 and Court Street. They had that same contractor come back and build, make the back wall-to-wall shelves. I remember, in, you know, the, the effort to move the store, it was, you know, Bishop, Morris. I mean, I was home from winter break in college. I'm helping them move. And at the time, I was more customer than employee. I was in college. It was pretty much all the customers who were like file customers who loved the place were helping the move happen. Right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that was very much, you know, and I know you got a, a taste of that, but, you know, very much, you know, that alternate realities. Um, I mean, on a regular basis, and especially, and we've discussed this, you know, when the time came for the final move out, I mean, you know, everybody, you know, lent a hand. It was, it was a cool thing to see. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, uh, I remember the first time I walked into the back of the, the Court Street location, and, you know, Bishop was putting the boxes away and Morris is all happy. He's like, yes, we have all this extra space. And Bishop is looking at me. He goes, you know, he's going to fill that in like the next two months, right? I said, yeah, 100% <laughs> right. He's going to have that all like stacked up and blocked off. Absolutely. So, you know, I definitely want to speak more uh, about Bishop. But it, Morris and Irene, you know, I, I met Irene. I remember mm -hmm. she would be behind the counter and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I had very pleasant interactions with her. I don't believe I ever met Morris, but they were a husband and wife team yep. who owned the store, which is really nice. And I, you know, uh, Irene, of course, sadly uh, passed away a few years ago. Morris yep. had predeceased her by a good few years as Morris well. Morris right? died, uh, he died in September of 90, 1998. Okay. And, you know, Irene died uh, by March of 2007, excuse me, February of 2017. You know, both passed away from cancer. Uh, with Morris, you know, he died of a brain tumor, and it was very sad. Uh, and you know, they were they were a very interesting couple. Yeah, I'd love to hear more. I, in reading her obituary, uh, it mentioned that they had a number of businesses that they ran together. Yes. They had a newspaper and, and gift shop. They yep. had a kosher deli for a while. Yeah, it's it, so they had a kosher deli and catering service. Well, it was interesting because you know I met them. Obviously, they're running a comic book shop. And, you know, they, they lived in an apartment um, on Bronx River Road, you know, technically Bronxville PO, but, you know, Yonkers. And it was, in fact, right off of the Cross County, uh, Bronx River Road, like near a 7-Eleven. I don't know, it, 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 very close to Dragon's Den. Okay. And the Cross County Mall. Sure. So and their apartment was wall-to-wall -wall comic books because of all the overstock. And it's funny because Irene actually hadn't read comic books until they opened up the store. And so, you know, they'd, they'd been together forever, loved each other very much, um, complimented each other very, very well. Uh, Morris could be very gruff, but at the same time, Irene was the person that kept him organized. And he could get easily excited Drive her crazy, drive me crazy, uh, drive Bishop crazy. But then, of course, Irene was, you know, more of the ACD um, and or attentive one about certain things. And as a result, drive Morris crazy, drive Bishop crazy, drive me crazy too. Um, but, you know, they, they definitely made the store work um, by virtue of, you know, their, their own personalities like... Morris could, you know, go back to all the, the artwork and the stories and, you know, that was his thing. Whereas Irene was so new to comic books when, um, 
the store opened up. And so she actually would spend most, the running joke was that anytime a new book would come out and it was a title Irene was interested in, you had to make sure you ordered an extra copy for Irene. Like, it would be hilarious. She'd actually hold on to the books and not want to sell it until she had a chance to read it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, whether if it was a title she was interested in. And, and you know, we're talking about, like, Justice Society of America. Um, some of the certain Superman stories. Uh, the Catwoman run by Jim Ballant. Like, she loved that run. Um, you know the time it was 1994 so we're talking about like night post nightfall so it would have been nightfall night quest night's end the return of bruce wayne like that kind of stuff sure yeah so who typically would handle the ordering would they do that or would, would bishop do that? um well so bishop didn't come until 1995 right so you know they would do that and uh, and sometimes i'd even do it with them where you know so they'd get previews right and I'd even get a copy and sometimes I'd have a homework assignment, take a look at it. What do you think? What do you like? Ask my opinion. But ultimately they were the ones doing the ordering. And like anything else, you're going back, you're seeing how much of a book you've been ordering the last couple of months, how many have sold, how many do we have left? And based on that, you're adjusting the order, increasing or decreasing. Um, when Bishop started there, it was summer of 95. So it was by, you know, May of 95 and, you know, he, at the time, I remember the first time I met him, I mean, he really just looked like the way the character Bishop was drawn in comic books back then. He had the mullet and everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he really did bear a resemblance to No, No character. question, no question. So Bishop, of course, is not his birth name. Did he legally change it? No. He didn't legally change no. it. I thought he did. Okay, urban legend, I guess. Ur it, it was an urban legend. He, he did not change it. Um you know, back then, uh, when first time I met Bishop in the first couple of months, the first few weeks, it was, you know, Bishop, he's he's essentially going to be the manager. And you know, I worked with a good guy, always got along. Yeah. Um, you know, and at the time, really, where Bishop's focus was, so one of the things that was going on in the store was there was a high turnover with the, with the framing, with the framers. And... I'd say Bishop was the st brought the stability to the store. Where did he come from? What had he been doing prior? I think he'd been, I think he actually at one point had come from like Dragon's Den. Oh, okay. If I remember correctly, and I could be wrong about this. He was always kind of a curious figure to me. And when you talk about Westchester's comic shop history, he's a figure who looms large over it. Well, absolutely. Do you keep in touch? Yeah. You know, we randomly, I mean, we haven't touched base in a while, but you know, Especially after the store closed, you know, as a friend, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, Bishop was invited to my wedding. Granted, he got the dates confused and he showed up on the wrong night. It's, it's, it's literally <laughs> my favorite story. I got married on uh, Friday, November 6, 2009. So literally, and, and, and my wife cracked up because when I was, when we were sending out the invitations, I actually sent the invitation to the comic book shop <laughs> and I sent it to Irene I sent it to Ricky and I sent it to Bishop so Ricky and Irene couldn't make it but Bishop had RSVP'd yes so my, you know, my wedding day comes and I'm getting married and it's near Rochelle and, I, and you know it was funny because my wife Sam even said like okay I love the fact that Bishop RSVP'd who are we sitting with 
because <laughs> Irene and Ricky aren't coming. So wedding night comes. We're at, looking around at the dinner. No bishop, no date. I'm like, dude, what happened? And so, you know, the next day, obviously, I didn't think to call. So that's Sunday. Sam and I are literally at LaGuardia Airport about to get on a plane to fly to Canada. We were flying out to Niagara Falls for a little mini moon. Mm -hmm. And I get a call from Bishop. And he goes, dude, I am so sorry. What? I went to the wedding last night. Like we went, we thought it was last night. And we showed up. We were all dressed up. And I kid you not, Bishop and his, uh, and, and his date showed up and, and and it must have been like it was it was not the Siddiqui Schwartz wedding he showed up to I think it was something like you know the Cast the Castellano wedding right so all of a sudden he said yeah we showed up and let's just say me and my date stood out it was it was like that scene from Animal House when they walk into the bar and the record skips Zip. um for anyone listening who hasn't been married when uh, someone doesn't show up the day of it's not the best yes exactly. <laughs> it's not the best I'm curious though uh what did it say on the place card? What it's bishop. A bishop? It's it a actually bishop. It, it actually said bishop plus one. That's that's exactly not even his last name, Purvis, just bishop. I just put bishop. Just bishop. Bishop. And and Sam cracked up. She said I joked. She said, Well, what's his real name? And you know, Keith Purvis. And I'm going, she's like, no, nah, just go with Bishop. <laughs> <laughs> so when he, when he, and so again, you predated him at the store. When he came in, you know, from Dragon's Den to be the manager of Comic Book Heaven, he was already Bishop at that point? Yeah, he was already Bishop. He was, and he just introduced himself that's, as Bishop. That, that's how he was. In fact, I think I worked with him for about a good four years before I learned his real name. I don't think I learned, so I met him in 95. I don't think I learned his name until 1999. There's a, you've probably seen it. It's on YouTube. Uh, someone did a, like a little mini documentary about Comic Book Heaven when it was in the, the mall location. Have you yeah. seen it? And he talks about uh, how only three people are allowed to call him by his, his birth name. Yes. Like his mother, his ex-wife, and I forgot the third. Is it a child? Or? I think it's a child. Oh, no, no. Bill Collector. Yes. That's what it was. <laughs> was like, was the name, like, was that a thing at the store? Um, you just knew not to call him by any other name other than Bishop. That was, uh, that was definitely a boundary. <laughs> I mean, how did customers uh, approach it, I guess? Or this, was it just accepted if you were like, oh, that's Bishop? They go, okay. No, no. It, well, that's it. You didn't think anything of it. And, you know, it's, it's funny because, you know, I, I had a, I loved working with Bishop and, um, and I can tell that, you know, and Bishop definitely has a way about him. <laughs> what is that way? Uh, I, I'll say this. Uh, he, he's very unapologetic about who he is. He's very straightforward. And he can have a very deadpan sense of humor. And I think some people, if you can appreciate a deadpan sense of humor, you're going to love him. And if you don't like dead sand sense of humor, deadpan sense of humors, yeah, you might have a tough time with Bishop. But, you know, part of it also is, I think, so for the people who are shopping at the mall location, you know, they kind of you know, may, may have a different view on it because I actually saw the entire evolution of, you know, between the stores when it went from comic book alley to comic book heaven. You know, part of it also is Bishop's role changed over the years because, you know, when he started, you had Morris. Mm -hmm. 
And effectively, Morris ran everything, and Irene kept them organized. And, you know, Bishop was there initially because what he, one of the things, one of the reasons that Morris brought Bishop in is Bishop did the gaming. So the goal was to expand that aspect of the business and let Bishop spearhead that. Okay. Because he had a following, and if I remember correctly, it was from Dragon's Den, you know, bringing in the gaming. I mean, even after, uh, what was it, um, the store in Mamaronic that Bishop... Uh, oh, Modern Myths? Yeah, even after Modern Myths closed, I mean, Bishop ultimately, again, he's now working in a store where his focus, again, is the gaming. It's yeah, not, Gamer's Gauntlet. Yeah, Gamer's Gauntlet. So that's, you know, like uh, Blood Bowl. That was, you know, the thing that, that, that Bishop brought hmm. to the store. He introduced that. And this is also the time of like Magic the Gathering and Magic the Quest. So gaming was really starting to hit it big. And it was just another way to develop a customer base. Well, Morris got sick. And you know, Morris was diagnosed in January of 1998. So it was a rough eight-month period. I mean, he got diagnosed pretty much right around New Year's that year. <sighs> And we didn't, we didn't really see, you know, when, it, when he was first diagnosed, everyone was nervous, but everyone was very hopeful. By that spring, by that March, by that April, it was terrible. Um, you know, he was on chemo, he was on steroids. And then by that summer, he wasn't even coming into the store anymore. And at that point, you just knew. He was going to die. He was going to pass away. And in that regard, you know, for anyone who has a tough, has a tough thing to say about Bishop, I'll say this. I earn, I earn a lot of respect for him because he did a lot to make sure that Morris and Irene were as comfortable as they were in his last days. And he was a stand-up guy. He really, really was. I'm talking like when Morris was really sick towards the end, you know, Bishop was the one carrying him up the stairs. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he wasn't asked to do it. He was very happy to do it. He was very loyal. Um, and he always had Irene's back. And he always had Morris's back. And he was very protective of them. Um... You know, that's the bishop that I knew. And yes, he could come across as a little curt. Forgive me, it was a very emotional time. Uh, and, you know, maybe a little curt or maybe a little brusque, rather. I think that's the right word. Mm. You know, some people would say, wow, he's kind of like this menacing figure. You know, really good guy. Really good guy. You just, you know, especially that's what I saw. He was very loyal. He was very protective of the business. And he gave a lot of his time and energy to make sure that the business thrived. And after, you know, Morris died, you know, he did a lot to keep Irene say, sane because it was very hard for her. Right. Uh, you know, there were nights where she would break down crying. Well, Morris, why did you leave me? And so if things got too difficult for Irene, it was Bishop. And then by, you know, when the lease ran out in January of 2007 uh, at the 99 Court Street location, well, that's when they moved to the White Plains Mall. Right. And again, it was Bishop. 
who was doing a lot of the heavy lifting. And, you know, there were a lot of times before the store finally shut down in 2013 where Irene was absolutely, um, you know, adamant. I'm shutting it down. I'm shutting it down. It was Bishop that kept the store going. It was Bishop that really pushed it really hard. And, you know, for the, for the customers that were consistently loyal to the store, he did it for them. Obviously, yes, he wanted to, to keep his job, but he really did a lot to make the store work. And for a lot of us, you know, we were coming back because of Bishop. You know, even me. I mean, I guess I'd been an employee there, but certainly the last five years, I wasn't working at the store. I was, you know, it was a part of my family, but I was definitely there in the capacity of a customer. And it was Bishop that was making it work for us. And I'm assuming that, you know, among the regular clientele, yep. I mean, I'm sure they, you know, were, were used to him, right? I mean, when you say Absolutely. like, there are some people who might have been put off if, if he seemed short. I'm, I mean, I assume those were probably more, uh, you know, someone who just popped in as opposed to a regular customer, maybe? Uh, no, I, I, absolutely. I mean, look, part of it is, and I think you could appreciate this, Bishop had a shtick. He still has a shtick, right? He's, he's the tough guy. He's the one that can be like the, the brooding guy, you mm -hmm. know? And, and to a certain extent, it's a shtick that worked for him. You know, is it, is it everyone's cup of tea? Certainly not. But at the same time, that's like, I would always joke that if I walked in and I saw a bishop with like this gleeful smile, that's what I'm going, like, what is this, the apocalypse? Like, you know. So, I mean, I guess that's the thing. I, I don't know that I would have ever, he didn't come across as short or anything like that you know, to me, but definitely serious. Well, that's, and, and that's what I mean. Right. And, and if I said, if I said short, you know, that's not what I meant. It was really, he could be gruff, serious, right. not short, gruff. Right. Serious. And especially Brooding. watching, right. Like, especially watching that video. I mean, again, it was like very, very stern and, yes. and serious. And I guess that's sort of the view. I mean, so I know you say it was a shtick. I mean, were there moments where that kind of came down and he, he was joking around or was Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. But you know, you just had to know Bishop because also part of the issue, part of the humor of the store, at least with all of us, was it was a lot of sarcasm there. You know, it wasn't. It was a lot of dry humor, and I think that's really what sums up Bishop's sense of humor. It could be very dry. You mm. just have to kind of, you know, I said as I said, deadpan, and you know, <laughs> you know everything that uh, that I used to love about the store was also just how we all interacted with each other. You know, it sounds like we had similar experiences at our respective mm -hmm. shops. And I don't think it's surprising because in both instances, you know, mom and pop operation, mm -hmm. you know, single location as opposed to, mm -hmm. you know, like Dragon's Den, they had multiple mm -hmm. stores, Heroes World, part of a chain. Absolutely. You know, and in both cases, whether it's Odo, the owner at AR, or Bishop, the manager at Comic Book Heaven, these like iconic larger than life characters. I mean, mm -hmm. I feel like you see this a lot with retailers where, uh, you know, they have very distinct personalities absolutely and, and people really uh you know flock to them yeah no it's i mean i wouldn't say i flocked the bishop but i definitely <laughs> <laughs> i certainly didn't flock the bishop but i will say that uh bishop and i got along very well and like i said you know i mean granted <laughs> i was a high school kid when i met him but the one thing i've always respected about him was how loyal he was how loyal mm. he is and in that regard, I mean, look, and I think you could appreciate this too. The benefit, at least of my experience in working with Morris and Irene, and even just the whole comic book industry is ultimately your comic book shop is like home away from home, right? 
Absolutely. That's like I would spend hours just hanging out at the store reading. You know, I'd go find my little step, whether it was at Franklin Art or Comic Book Heaven, and just sit in the back and just read my books and chill out. And this is after I bought them because I'd much rather read them there. Hmm. And if I wanted to make a day of it, oh, let me go pull this back issue and let me go spend this and let me go do that. My Comic Shop History is sponsored in part by Acme Comics, the oldest and largest comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina. Acme is a full-service, multiple Eisner Award-nominated business. Visit them when traveling or online now at acmecomics.com. And be sure to follow store manager Jermaine Exum on Twitter at Lord Retail. And tune in Tuesday evenings for his early new release comics reviews. One of our podcast sponsors is a family of film festivals, the Brightside Tavern Film Festival in Jersey City, the Point Lookout Film Festival on Long Island, and the Hang On To Your Shorts Film Festival in Asbury Park. Find them all on Film Freeway, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for information about dates, tickets, and film submissions. The Brightside Tavern Film Festival takes place the first weekend of August. Also, be sure to visit iTunes or a shareduniverse.com to tune into the official Hang On To Your Shorts podcast. You know, one other thing with Bishop, he always seemed very candid. Because like yes. anytime my mom would say to him, because she honestly would engage with him more than I would. I would just be there with my, my list waiting for my comics. But like if she would say, oh, like, how are you? What's new? I mean, he was not shy about sharing whatever was going on in his personal <laughs> life. Yes, um, that's true. I mean, like, you know, relationship drama, whatever it was, like he didn't hold back, which is, again, very similar to Odo. I mean, people would come in and he, you know, just, he was very free with, with his, you know, personal life. No, it's true. And that was actually part and par- part and parcel of the culture of comic book heaven, you know. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, it's also, it wouldn't have been comic book heaven had you not had that dynamic. Uh, Bishop's coming in and someone asks, how are you doing? And then you're sitting there going, like literally whenever someone would ask that question, I'm scratching my head going, yeah, I'm just going to go in the back now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've already heard the answer to that question. Yeah, I mean, was there, were there a lot of repeated stories? Because that's a common thing I find with, with stories. Yeah, know? yeah, it's, 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 it's true. It's true. There, there, was, there was a lot of repeated stories. Um, like there's a show, I really, you know, going back to, uh, you know, whether it's the shtick or just this larger mm-hmm. than life personality, you know, whether it's something that they're actively cultivating or mm-hmm. something that just develops organically. I mean, I really feel like there's that showmanship aspect of being a retailer being in front of people dealing with that many people it's very true you know and it's like you know you catch the matinee performance and then the evening performance, right you probably did like on a wednesday you had people there i'm sure when you open and then the after work crowd right mm-hmm. well, there you go but, but the funny thing with with it is even with the performance aspect of it i mean look you, and you know this with Odo better than i did i mean i'd walk in talk to steve and next thing you know we're talking about everything from his days practicing as an attorney to just you know what books we're reading that we like to how ridiculous the industry is to you know so uh so you know our next thing you know i'm sharing with steve about like a fight i had with my wife and he's giving me relationship <laughs> advice guess what that ha- it, i don't know if you want to take it from him <laughs> it's funny though that that's you, a whole separate conversation but yeah. you got to him too late uh or he got to you too late uh you were already a practicing attorney by the time you mm-hmm. started shopping there because for years he really tried to deter me from going, going to, law to law school, school. yeah well actually you know it's funny because i think you came up in the sense that he would say, oh yeah, there's another, because he referenced me a couple of times, another customer of his that's, 
you know, going that had graduated from law school that he, you know, who he's and it, obviously now that I think about it, it had to have been you. The, the only other contender was uh, Chris Block. No, I think it was definitely it you. It was me. Right. Yeah. Because at this point, this is now we're talking like 2014. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, yeah, he works. He, he went, he said he went to Pace and he works there now. So oh, obviously well, yes. that, 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 that'd, be that, that'd definitely be you. But he'd sit there, you know, at the time when I first started um, showing up to uh, alternate realities. So Comic Book Heaven closes in 2013. And what was it? I was. You know, at the time, working with the Legal Aid Society, and he's like, "Oh, what kind of law do you practice? Criminal defense work." And we tr- trade stories. And of course, he worked in the city doing like real estate and litigation. And he'd ask me how I liked it, and I'm like, "Don't ask." And then he said, <laughs> "Of course, he'd tell me about you and you know how he he failed in getting you to uh, not go the route of being a lawyer." Yeah, this is true. Yeah. So it goes, you poor guy, you, you know, you have one store closed, you find alternate realities, you have, what, two years there before that shop closes. And then I go to Modern Myths, and what happened? That shop closes. Wow. <laughs> well, it's funny, because before that, I had one million comics. Like, when I came to Westchester, my first right. store was one million comics. So I had one year, I had literally less than a year with one million comics. Then I had Comic Book Heaven. Well, you had Comic Gallery, you had a, good oh, I had a great had a run. Good run there. That was least. 1994 to 2013. I mean, 19 years. And then after that, I had, yeah, uh, two, 2013, yeah, 2015, two years at Alternate Realities. And then uh, a couple of years at Modern Myths, 2015 to 2018, about three years. And then, you know, since 2018, I've been uh, over at Newbury Comics in the mall. So going back to comic book heaven, uh, you know, we've, we've spoken a lot about at alternate realities, you know, we are Saturday night, uh, dinner gatherings. Did you mm-hmm. guys do anything like that there? Did you go out with, um, I mean, you know, not, amongst the, the staffers and or with the customers? Yes, we did, but it wasn't like a regular thing. So one of the things we did, we do movie nights. Oh, that's so cool. like, uh, we all saw, I kid you not, we all saw interview with the vampire together. Okay. We all saw Star Trek Generations together. Uh, first contact, I was in college, but a lot of people went. So that was the stuff that like Morris and Irene would do. That's cool. And you know, we'd all get together, have dinner, go see a movie. And uh, they were actually very big on organizing those events for like some of the, some of the customers and employees. And I see a lot, you know, because with all the stores that I've gone to, you know, now I follow them on social media and I see a lot of them uh, will organize movie nights where they'll, mm-hmm. you know, rent out an entire theater for mm-hmm. Captain Marvel or Endgame or whatever. And, you know, all the customers go and that's, I think it's a cool thing. Yeah, no, it's... It, and again, this is like pre-social media days. This is pre-cell, you know, regular, like this is back in the days when, you know, no one had a cell phone. Maybe some people had a beeper. Remember those, you know, beep 911. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so for the most part, it was just like as old school as it got. You just did it word of mouth. And whenever we do these things, everyone would meet at the store and you'd meet on a Friday night. Everyone would meet at the store, you know, caravan out, Maybe go grab dinner at a steakhouse, at a restaurant, and then boom, hit the movies. Or, nice. uh, but it was interesting. It wasn't just that. Like, I, you know, Morris was a big jazz guy. He actually um, introduced me to a couple of uh, jazz musicians. So, like, we did dinner. Like, customers and staff did dinner. Saw a jazz performance at uh, the Terrytown uh, Theater. Or, you know, we saw an interview with a vampire, Star Trek. 
I'm just thinking again, this is the early 90s, so there was no really good comic book movie. I know, a very different time. Oh my God, yeah. Uh, But it's cool to hear that you, you did stuff like that. Like I said, you know, I was reflecting on, you know, my memories of comic book heaven and, you know, sad to say I've already shared most of them. I don't, I don't have a ton. It was mostly those, those back issue quests that I remember the most. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I do remember though, I, I got into, uh, reading Flash Mm -hmm. via comic book heaven. I remember the new books, the, you know, Wednesday's new releases used to be laid out on, uh, folding tables. Yep. Right. And I remember I, again, I wasn't a regular there, but I was there on a Wednesday and I remember seeing Flash. Uh, number 152 by Mark Wade. That was the start. This was post-Chain Lightning. Yep. Wally West era. Post-Chain Lightning, the start of the Dark Flash, the Walter the Walter, the Walter West, West saga. Yes. And it was a very striking cover of this new Dark Flash. And uh, it, just, it, it just caught my attention. It's one of those great moments of discovery where I hadn't read anything about it online or even in mm-hmm. Wizard, I don't think. Like, I just saw the cover and I was like, oh, like, that's cool. And I picked it up and you know, been reading Flash ever since, and I got the back issues and, and mm-hmm. everything. So uh, I remember that. And I remember remember the, the Fox uh, Spider-Man animated series from the 90s. Yes. That amazing line of toys that they did based on the show. Well, that was actually right when... The store opened then, right? Yeah, the store opened in 94, the same... Because yeah, Spider-Man, the animated series, debuted the fall of 94. Right. And it was... Uh, and I can't believe I remember this. Christopher Barnes was the voice of Peter Parker. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, they did a you know a great line of figures. And uh, I remember there was one that I was trying to track down. The Alien Spider Slayer. Okay. And I remember, I think I called the store. I can't remember if I called first or just went, but they had it. And I remember being in the store being so excited to get that toy and i think like i even like like alien spider slayer and that became like within our family like a little bit of an inside joke like whenever like we were excited about something Mm -hmm. it was like oh alien spider slayer uh so i have very fond memories of of tracking that down but those were two instances and i remember one time when uh she shouldn't have done this but i'm glad she did i married sold me the uh uh, a a copy of ultimate spider-man the day before she was supposed to like it was a tuesday Mm -hmm. and the book released on wednesday that's right, because they would they would get the preview books. Yeah. So this is back when they would do the early release. Oh, actually, you know what? That's yeah. Let me take it back, because I was thinking about you know now retailers get the books on Tuesday, for but yeah, you're right. I think those were the preview copies that they would get the week before. Exactly. Yeah. So what she what she must have done is sold you one of the preview copies. Yeah. And it was the only copy, but knowing that it would be replaced right the next day. Yeah. So, but I remember you know being very excited to get that. <laughs> Uh, but, the, you know, again, they're, they're small moments, but um, it was always it was always exciting to go to Comic Book Heaven. Yep. Uh, I mean, you guys had so much stuff. I mean, yep. the, you know, the, the racks of new comics were, were deep. And, uh, you know, again, you had the, you know, pretty much any back issue, especially the recent stuff, which was the stuff that I was, you know, tracking down. Uh, you know, so I always had a good time. I know Irene would have her dogs at the store. Yes. Mul- mul- one or multiple? Um... There were two. Okay. So she had... had Some very excited neighbors in the hall. Yeah, clearly. Uh, So the first dog she got was a a rescue um, after Morris died. Uh, It was a mutt. Great dog. Clark Kent. That's what she named. Clark, yes. Yes, Clark. She called Clark short for Clark Kent, and she loved that dog. And... um, her mom, Betty, also had a, a, a dog. I think it was a little spaniel. 
I forget the dog's name. And then Clark ultimately, you know, passed. She got another dog. I think it was Elliot. Uh, yeah, she she definitely had her, you know, series of dogs. So, I mean, that's, you know, uh, you know, very nice. And now I'm going to sound like a jerk. I, I, it wasn't my favorite thing in the world that the dogs were in the store. Keep in mind, though, this was, I was, had much more of that collector mindset at the time. And I guess my fear was like, oh, I got like dogs in the store. I got to protect the books. Because um, I do, I mean, I like dogs. And even mm. more so now through my wife. At the time, I was, you know, I guess less of an animal lover. But it wasn't my favorite thing. And even at AR in the, towards the final year, Steve started bringing, you know, his dog to the store. And again, wasn't my favorite thing. How did you feel about the dogs in the store? Um... It didn't bother me. No, all right. Well, I mean, you know, and, it, and it's funny because the reason it didn't bother me was I also, in my perspective on it was very different. Like, look, if I'm a customer coming in strictly looking at it from a purist perspective, the last thing that I'm focusing on, or the last thing I want rather is, oh my God, what are these dogs doing there? Something could happen to the books. But by that same token, um, you know, this was my home away from home. And you know, Morris and Irene's store. And for Irene, the reason she had the dogs was that's how she dealt with not having Morris around it in a lot of ways. Um, and so they just became part of the family of the store. It got to a point, let's say by 1999, you know, at this point it's, you know, within a year of Morris's death, but Clark was a fixture at the store and you knew that you were going to see the, that dog there. Right. And he was a great dog, to be quite honest. He didn't bark, didn't yell, very loyal. He just slept there. And he was just a very, very good dog. For the record, it was more just the idea of pets in the store. It wasn't, I had nothing against those particular Of course ones. not. I know, I get that. <laughs> I get that. No, absolutely. It's like, what are we doing? It's a store. But yeah, but you said it yourself. By the end, you know, Steve yeah. was bringing his dog. But I mean, like when you, you know, when you made the switch over to AR, did it, I mean, just in terms of the atmosphere, did it feel comparable to what you had experienced yes, at Comic Book no Academy? question. Yeah. I mean, well, well, that's the thing. It's, I, what I found was, look, Steve was the permanent fixture. He wasn't going anywhere. But Steve was very straightforward, very easy to talk to. He, he knew the business. And, you know, uh a lot of the culture of AR, at least from my perspective, was similar to the culture of Comic Book Heaven. It's a comic book store, uh, and 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 I say that, in a, and, and what I'm, and what I mean by that actually is this: just that, like, my it took my wife a while to understand <laughs> what a comic book store is really like. You know, it's she would go, well, it's just a place where like what comic books are sold, and I'm like, silly girl, no, 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 <laughs> that is not how that works. You know, it's it, it, it's like a home away from home. It's an escape. It's a haven. And it was, well, a heaven, certainly. My comic, you know, that was the play on it. Comic book heaven was actually M.I., Morris and Irene, my right. comic book heaven. And it was on the sign, right? Yeah. I never noticed that. Yeah, a lot of people didn't. Ever. Like, I, I think it was only, you know, you know, when we started talking in advance of this that I even realized. Yeah. Uh, great name though, Comic Book Heaven. Yeah. We, we've talked about the challenges posed by alternate realities. Yeah. Not having comics in the name, people mistakenly calling it alternate realties, thinking we're a real estate agent. <laughs> like there are a lot. Comic Book Heaven, boom, gets you right there. 
Well, I, well, that was the thing, and that was the the shortened version. The original name was My Comic Book Heaven, and hmm. instead of and it was spelled M I Morris and Irene. Hmm. So original the original sign after they moved into the location it was M period I period Comic Book Heaven, Morris and Irene My Comic Book Heaven. I dig well My Comic Shop History. I dig that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, uh, not to bring it down, but you know when when Morris and then Irene. Um, past uh i mean i assume you were you were present for memorial sorry did a lot of the customers come out for that well you know it's funny i was actually in college for morris's uh funeral service so i wasn't able to come down uh and i wound up you know coming back it wasn't until thanksgiving i was actually able to come back and pay respects directly uh but yes customers were there for his passing for his service and you know, when Irene died, we had a lot of old customers that came in for that funeral. Um, you know, and at, at that point, you know, Bishop was there, Ricky was there, I was there. Her brothers had organized this uh, services, and it was actually at, you know, at a, at a funeral home in the Bronx. And there were people out there I hadn't seen in years. Um, it was very emotional. Yeah, no, I mean, I... Extremely emotional. I can imagine. I think that really says a lot to what, you know, the store, but more importantly, what Morris and Irene meant to those those customers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, you know, you've been describing it as a home away from home. I mean, it really it really is that, and it becomes this surrogate family. Absolutely. You know, what, so if, uh, we'll bring it back up now. So, I mean, if it's a family, who's bishop to you? Like, older brother? Cousin? Yeah. Uncle? Well, I mean, like, I would... <laughs> you ever see The Wonder Years? Yeah. Okay. So in a lot of ways he's like Wayne, the big okay, brother. Yeah. You know, the, the, but 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 like you know the demented older brother kind of torture you a little bit. Okay. Um, look, it, it, it's funny. Uh, I'll I'll say that you know much of the <laughs> much of the drama of the store came from the relationship drama that all of the employees went through, all of us, like you know. Heck, I had my first big breakup with a girlfriend right when I was working at the store when I was home from college. Mm-hmm. So not drama between each other, but dr- like drama in your, each of it, your personal it, lives. It, yeah, it, it, exactly. And it's funny because Bishop was one of the people that counseled, counseled me through that breakup. Um, and, you know, I was like 18 years old, first, like first really serious girlfriend. It was, you know, home from college and boom, boom, boom. And like, you know, I broke up with her, but, you know, it was like, oh, you know, you know, when you're 18 years old, your girlfriend cheats on you. Oh my God, it's the most end of the world. And and end of the world. But it, it was Bishop is one of the people that count like really counseled me through that. You know, and 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 that's the kind of stuff that I remember. So yeah, he was. You know, if Morris was the father, Irene was the mother. Bishop was like that older brother, that on the one hand, will will have your back and and uh, you know take you take care of you and give you some great advice. But when you're not looking, he's going to give you like an atomic wedgie. So, you know, and then like, you know, uh, point his finger at your chest, you look down and then smacks you upside the head and screams, make, make you look right. Like that's, that's the way Bishop was. <laughs> and, and, you know, and bear in mind, I was a high school kid, but <laughs> I suppose in many ways toughened me up for a lot of things, but, you know, very, like I said, he was very loyal. He's one of my favorite coworkers that I've ever had. I want to make sure we touch on the the final days at the White Plains Mall. So we mentioned 
you know, used to be across from the Galleria, which is yep. one one caliber of mall in White Plains. You currently shop at the Westchester, the highest end mall experience. Yeah. <laughs> so we have the Westchester, we have the Galleria, and then, you know... Again, we have we, the White Plains want, Mall. We don't want to put anything down, but uh, <laughs> the White Plains Mall has seen better days. Yeah, and that goes back like 50 years, certainly. It's seen better days. So that was Comic Book Heaven's final home. A much So again, I've, I was never there, but what I heard, much smaller space. Well, so a couple of things. What ultimately would happen was when, when Morris and Irene moved to the Court Street location, it was for a 10-year lease. The lease expired, and the lease expired in January of 2007. So when the lease was up for renewal the landlord tripled the rent. And, you know, just to kind of give a little bit of backstory, at this point in time, White Plains was experiencing a bit of a, a development renaissance. So they had just put up the uh, Trump development and the movie theater had been built and the movie theater was operational as of January 2004. So this is 2003 into 2004. You know, so at this point, it's been three years We've had a movie theater, we've had the Trump development, and people are thinking, okay, let's look at more development in White Plains. So they were built, at this point in time, the Ritz-Carlton was actually under construction. So the landlord felt that given this proliferation of development, you know, this was hot property. It triples the rent, at which point Irene couldn't afford it. So... She shopped around, then she found um, a store space in the White Plains Mall. But it was like a fraction of a fraction of the size of the Court Street location. And the Court, just to interrupt for a quick second, so that Court Street location, I, I just drove by the other day. It's a CVS now? No. It's not. It's what... Okay, so because I wasn't positive exactly which one it was, so, so. it's next to the CVS. Okay, is it vacant or is there? It's some... still vacant. <laughs> that that one space is actually still vacant. What happens is every few, every year, they will have a temporary uh, temporary lease for a uh, costume shop, one of those Halloween pop up shops. Yeah, for a Halloween <laughs> pop up shop, at least for a few years, um, but. What Irene did back in 2006, 2007 was she she couldn't liquidate that much inventory. She actually wanted to play placing a lot of it in storage and then took the space at um, the White Plains Mall. Okay. And the store, obviously, all the current file customers went over. Um, and yeah, that was the home for the store for the next six years from oh, actually almost seven years. Uh, it was a much smaller space, but Irene was able to make it work. And she was able to make it work because she had Bishop. I mean, to be quite honest with you, he was the one keeping the store going. And so now, again, this is something that uh, you know I'm curious to hear about. What, what we had heard was that, and maybe this pertains to the books and storage. I, I don't know if it was the storage or at the store, but um, they were ruined... Uh, by by water damage that sprinklers went off that was in storage okay a lot of the books in storage were ruined those were like the the back issues yeah, yeah. out of the back issue a lot of the back issues were destroyed um you know because of certain things that happened in the storage unit 
Uh, I mean, that's just, yeah. was that the fatal blow or were there other factors? To... Um, I think, so essentially what had been going on was towards the last few years before Irene closed the store, you know, she'd, and God bless that woman. She lost, she had gone through, experienced a lot of loss in the last 15 to 20 years of her, 15 to 20 years of her life. I mean, her husband got sick and he passed away. Uh, she had this dog that she was extremely devoted to in part because it was what was helping her process Morris's death. And Clark died. You know, she he euthanized uh, to put him to sleep. And then, you know, she had her mother, well, she had her sister who wound up passing away from cancer. And then she had an elderly mother Betty, who also wound up passing away. So, you know, for her, it was just loss after loss after loss. And with respect to the store, you know, one of the things that, you know, that even I used to say to her, and Bishop and I would talk about this, was the store was something that we felt was keeping her functional, keeping her alive, keeping her healthy, just because A, was getting her out of the house, Mm -hmm. and B, it was giving her something to do every day. You know, for a few years after Morris died, she was in as good of a place as she could be, you know, without her husband. She was working out. She was exercising. She was taking care of herself. She was socializing. You know, she was having, you know, organizing events like for the customers and, and, and the staff, like whether it's a movie or a few people, you know, maybe going out to dinner, just things like that. Um, you know, towards the last couple of years, you know, she was just having... I think a tough time just with the business. And of course, you know, you know this from your time working in a comic book shop, like anything else, it, there are peaks and valleys that, you know, it goes up, up and down with how the business flows. So, you know, I think 2013, 2012, and this is not a reflection of the business that they were running, but more a reflection of the business of the industry at the time. There was a lot of ups and downs. I mean, you know, how many times are customers going to be psyched about, you know, DC Comics, like resetting continuity? So um, with, with the downturns in the business and, uh, you know, her personal life, then ultimately what happened was the day that the store shut down, um, Diamond had changed their policy, you know, how they were accepting payment for the books. And I, Irene just got frustrated and said, that's it, we're done. I'm not doing this anymore. Um, I'm not doing this. And literally, I remember I walked into the store like any other Wednesday. Right, because you weren't working there anymore, obviously, but you yeah. still obviously your regular shop. You exactly. Know, right? I just walked into the store during my lunch break. It was actually at Legal Aid, and Legal Aid office used to be on North Broadway in White Plains, one ah, North Broadway on the oh corner God. of Main Street and North Broadway. So walking to the White Plains Mall is real easy. I used to yeah. love it. I'm like, oh, great. I don't even have to, I didn't have to worry about parking. Oh man, you're good to go. I, it was great. I used to, I had a garage spot from Legal Aid that I didn't have to pay for. All the employees parked for free. You know, the office paid for it. So I'd be able to walk to my comic book shop. I, I didn't even have to worry about a parking ticket or anything. It was awesome. So what happens? I show up and there's Bishop. And in the most deadpan way, uh, we have no books. We're closing the store. And oh, it was that abrupt. It was that abrupt. We have so no books. So it was like so they changed their payment policy, and she was just like, "Okay, like I'm not, I'm done." 
was it that they weren't extending credit anymore? Like you had to pay as soon as like, or, yeah, the, yeah, I mean, it was cash on delivery. They weren't doing credit and she'd been operating on credit and for years, for years, it right. wasn't like she wasn't behind. I mean, yeah, like, like anything else, maybe a little bit, you know, right. once or twice, but catch up, but she consistently, you know, and she just, she was not willing to do it. She said, no, that's it. And then how long after that, before the store was shut down? Three days. Three days. It was the end of the week. It's, you know, so again, something that else that we have in common is we're both part of stores that closed after a lo very long tenure. But, you know, with AR, it was really more of a long goodbye. I mean, Steve made the announcement in February, had, the store closed in June. So there was time to, to kind of mourn and process and spread the word. Absolutely. It sounds like you did not have that. Not even a little bit. I mean, I'm sure there were a lot of customers then who showed up, you know, a few days after that for their books. I talked about this in the season premiere. I mean, that was what happened to me with Heroes World. That was my regular store. I was averaging every other week. So I went in, two weeks later, the store was gone. I had no idea. It was traumatizing as a kid. Yeah. That's that's exactly what it was like. I mean, I, look, I wasn't a kid. I was a 35-year-old grown-ass man. And I'm walking in, and all of a sudden, it's closing. And and for me, it was it, it was it was tough to deal with because it wasn't like she was going anywhere else. It was She was done. Right. Was there any talk of Bishop buying it? We'd actually kind of talked about it where maybe a bunch of us maybe invest yeah into it and it didn't you know part of the problem was let's say if you're talking about a time frame like alternate realities okay that's a four month long goodbye you can you at least have time to have a conversation right. how do you do that in the span of like three days or four days once you what you do with everything i mean so basically no new books they were closing the store tried to liquidate everything i think like it wasn't maybe not maybe not as abrupt as three days maybe it was like five or ten uh i think they were good and they had the rent paid until the end of the month but this was like in the middle of of the month so it was just liquidate everything they can put the rest into storage and shut it down but um that's i had i had it was it was it was definitely it's like it i almost felt like the store ghosted us it's just poof, like bare, very little, uh, bit, you know, explanation. Then boom, the store's gone. That's, I mean, again, I, you know, I'm, I'm so struck by that because I'm thinking about what I would. I mean, again, I had the Heroes World experience, but I wasn't nearly as involved with that store as as you were with this, or as I was with Alternate Reality. But it was also for such an extended period of time. I mean, think of it this way: I was fourteen, I was fifteen years old. I mean, this had this place had been a part of my life for twenty years. I mean, it was a long-standing Westchester comic shop yeah. institution. Yeah, it's true. It, it, it at that point had become an institution. That's really sad. I, yeah, yeah. I really didn't know that aspect of it. I mean, that's really unfortunate. I mean, I guess how? I mean, how quickly do you do you run through the stages of grief in a in a situation like that? I mean, you can't even process it really. So, I mean, I guess you know, leading up to that. I mean, again, it sounds like Diamond's change in policy was really like the precipitating event with that, but. Oh with uh again everything that she had been going through i mean had she been talking about closing because again with odo it was like for as long as we knew him he was like i'm only like i'm once the lease is up i'm not going to renew and then he would renew but it was this ever-present threat that he was going to close so when he finally last by the last it, few eh. years it, w it was also an ever-present threat with her okay the thing is though we were a little bit more guarded that maybe she'll do it especially because of all the loss she'd endured but she hadn't been Whereas I think in this instance, from her perspective, 
you know, because the way the business was going between everything else. And then finally, oh my God, now I have to come up with like X amount of money. That's it. I'm done. And, and look, part of it also was, you know, like any other comic book store, it was, it, it operates in cycles. Point is comic books weren't as lucrative at this point. Believe me, you don't have to tell me about the challenges of running the store, man. Yeah. I, I, I get it. And, you know, you know, that compounded by what she was going through in her personal life. And so then that was it. That was it. And it was over. I mean, poof, it was gone. I think hardest part was, I remember that day, and this is, I was, you know, it was, it was an end of an era and I couldn't even process it. Like I actually said to myself, I got to give it a, I, let's wait a few days and see if Irene changes it. her mind. Exactly. And I spoke with Bishop and it clearly, I spoke with her and I spoke with him. It wasn't happening. And so it was, it was a goodbye that was so forced and so rushed that I never really had a chance to properly say goodbye to Irene and the store. And then sadly, you know, a little over three years later, she was dead. She passed away. It was, uh, it was very, yeah, very no, sweet. It was a sad end, I guess, for the store, you know, and for her. But, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, clearly, you know, it, she and Morris and Bishop and the store, you know, obviously made an impression on you. Were, were that, that family and that, absolutely, you know, that, that place to go, that second home. And, you know, that's a wonderful thing. And, you know, I love hearing about that. And, you know, again, for me, I, I always knew the experience that I had, but it's uh, encouraging to, you know, to know that those things, you know, were going on and continue to go on at other comic shops. Yeah. I think that really speaks to, you know, the power of the comic shop. Uh I've really, you know, this has been, you know, uh, very enjoyable and insightful and I've, I've enjoyed, you mm -hmm. know, getting to uh, hear about your experience with Comic Book Heaven and learn more about the store and kind of fill in the gaps uh, from, from my own knowledge about it as a kid. Uh, as, we, as we wrap up here, is there anything else that you wanted to say about the store or your experience? Uh, what you hope the legacy of Comic Book Heaven in Westchester is, maybe? <laughs> well, here's what I'll say about the store and certainly its significance to me. Uh, it was, I always joke, you know, when people ask me, especially now that I've been a practicing attorney for over a decade now, they're like, oh, what's your favorite job? And I always go back to comic book heaven. I said, my favorite job was working in a comic book frame shop, framing pictures and, and filing away issues of like ultraverse comic books, you know? And they'll look at me like, what? I said, because it was one of the, one of my favorite times of my life. Well, I thank you very much for sharing your comic shop history with thank me you. and with listeners. Thank you for being part of this. Just a quick postscript to the episode you just heard. Originally, I was planning to record a second episode on Comic Book Heaven featuring former manager Bishop Purvis. In fact, I was scheduled to record with Bishop uh, just a couple of days after my conversation with Saad. We were going to meet at Gamer's Gauntlet, the store where Bishop was working. Believe it or not, uh, as soon as I was done recording with Saad, I checked my phone and found that I had a text message from Bishop informing me that our recording was off, that he was no longer working at Gamer's Gauntlet. Uh, I did reach out and offer to meet him elsewhere so that we could still do the recording, even if it wasn't at his now former store. And unfortunately, I haven't heard back from Bishop. So alas, there will not be a second episode about Comic Book Heaven featuring Bishop. That being said, I really love the episode that I did with Saad. I think he really painted a full picture of Bishop 
and Morris and Irene and the entire comic book heaven store and community. I hope you enjoyed as well. For more with Saad, be sure to head on over to the My Comic Shop History Patreon page and listen to the after show. And then, of course, we will be back with an all-new episode of My Comic Shop History featuring American legends formerly known as One If By Cards, Two If By Comics in two weeks. Until then, don't be a flat squirrel. If you like what you hear, please consider joining the My Comic Shop History Patreon page. I know we're all subscribed to a million different services these days, but your Patreon support helps me cover the costs associated with maintaining the podcast. Plus, you get access to a ton of exclusive bonus content, starting at the $1 level, including the My Comic Shop Book Club, Beyond My Comic Shop, and My Super Fan History Subseries. If you enjoy the regular episodes, I promise you'll dig the Patreon ones. Thanks to everyone who has already signed up. 